Lord God, we give you thanks on this amazing Palm Sunday as we usher in with your leading Holy Week and follow you as Lord and Savior, prophet, priest, and king fulfilled. In the cries of your people, we shout, Hosanna. Lord, save us this day. May we be focused and may we be present as we open your word together this important day. We pray it as you live, Jesus, with the Father and the Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen. So how goes it these days in the office? Spending lots of time? Maybe long hours? Maybe the pressure is building. There's maybe projects that have been building up for some time and, and finally the deadlines are upon you. And if so, you know far too well the stress and the emotion and the exhaustion that goes with time spent in the office. Some of you are saying, well, I don't go to the office anymore. I never have. Not been my thing. Oh, I disagree. Because I think everybody has some form of an office. Maybe that office is a minivan that, that takes, you and, takes you and the kids to a lot of different directions. And that is an incredible and important office to spend time in and, and being there. Maybe your office is in the home. Maybe your office is, is in different places. Maybe your office is in places of, where you get your hands dirty and it's underneath the, the hood of a car. Or, or maybe it's in other places where you're exhausted at the end of the day because it's physically exhausting. That's your office, not in the, the same sense that most would define an office. No matter where your office is, you know far too well what it is to be overwhelmed. Maybe that office has come by some tough, tough, tough news lately, and it's overwhelming. I want to show you a picture, just an image that maybe describes how often we can feel, and uh, not just at tax time as we're upon it right now. If you're an accountant or you're just going through the tax stuff, life can be overwhelming, spending days in the office. And we know that exhaustion does set in. We, we long for better days. We long for an answer in the, the broken, fallen, hurting, tired world we live in. And it's quite possible you're longing for, well, what Staples has, has called the easy button, right? And, and they've used this as a marketing ploy. You know, have you ever, we, we, you ever have one of these? Or try it, they sell them there. You can actually buy them and you, you push down on it and it says, well, that was easy, right? And, and one would just long for that in life, that oh, if only there was an easy button. When life is overwhelming in the office, wherever that office takes us, to find something easier. I know around here it's been a tough week in the office. The office in the week got hit this past week with news. One of our own teachers who we were all excited about and the kids have been celebrating and following along every step of that journey of, of one of our teachers who was getting ready to give birth to a child. 38 weeks along in her pregnancy, was going to go on maternity leave just this past Thursday, was all excited about it until the phone call came that they couldn't find a heartbeat. And how on Monday morning, gathering with our student body and praying for Jennifer Studel and her husband and, and their family at the loss of a baby still in her womb. That's a tough day in the office. That's one of those moments where there just isn't an easy button for that. And it's just problematic and symptomatic of the world and brokenness we live in that is so filled with pain. We long for something better. We long for answers. 
We long for some way to find hope and relief. And you've lived it, you know it, wherever you're at today. If it seems overwhelming, where do we go? You know, they were calling out that day in Jerusalem when Jesus came walking in, really riding in and fulfillment of a prophecy in Old Testament Scripture that that Messiah on that day would come riding in on the colt of a donkey, on the fowl of a donkey, and there it happened. He came riding in at, at his request, told his disciples, go, you'll find it tied up there, and, and if they ask you, just tell them the Master, the Lord needs it, and that's exactly what they did. And, and as he wrote in that day, these words that we read just a moment ago, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which literally means, Lord, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven, they shouted. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, Mark 11 tells us, and went into the temple courts. He, and, and I love this verse, because I think we can very quickly read past it, not even dwell on it. But yet all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired. All Scripture has a purpose. And I love this verse, how it ends here in this chapter. It says that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, it said. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, he, he was staying out in Bethany, most, most likely with Lazarus and Mary and Martha at their home, that was the bed and breakfast in the suburbs as it were outside of Jerusalem where Jesus would spend his time. But here it is after this triumphal entry. It's already late in the day, but it says that Jesus walked into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. What was he looking at? I got a hunch Jesus knew it was going to be a critical week in the office. Because all would be fulfilled. All the longing, the expectations, the hurts, the pains, the brokenness of humanity would be placed on his desk. And he knew it. Oh, maybe the crowds didn't realize to what extent this week would change history. But Jesus did. And he knew the workload. He knew what he'd have to face in that office. You know, I think it's kind of significant that throughout Scripture and, and really theologians have recognized this throughout the centuries that really there's a threefold office that Jesus comes to fulfill. He sits really in three important positions. One is prophet, one is priest, and one is king. And really unlike just being a prophet or being just a priest or being just a king, he comes to be the prophet, he comes to be the priest, and he comes to be the king. A God who enters into the office of this broken world purposely, and it's on the forefront of his mind, of what he would need to do. Starts, though, as the prophet. You know, in the Old Testament, we learned that... Uh, the prophets would proclaim, and, and really they'd be a mouthpiece for God. They, they stood between God and his people as a, a, a spokesman for what God would have to say. They were inspired as prophets to speak on behalf of the Lord and proclaim good news and, and oftentimes in calls of, of repentance to God's people. It was a tough job, but they stood in an important role that when God would speak, he would speak through the mouths of his prophets. 
And so they stood as really a go-between from God to his people as that mouthpiece. When we get to the New Testament and the fulfillment of when Messiah would come, Scripture has much to say and just one example about how Jesus fulfills that office, not just as any old prophet of the old days, but rather the prophet who would be not only the, the spokesman of God, but also be God in the flesh. Here's an example of that. If you want to follow along in Scripture, in the Bibles today, 12, 1204, page 1204, we're going to spend a little time in Hebrews looking at some select verses here of a God who reveals that threefold office. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And if you have it, you could read it with me. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. Now, What's being referred to there is the fact that when God creates and God creates the universe, God uses the tool of his voice, that word of God that has creative and and redemptive power. Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of that word of God and the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And Hebrews is just backing that up, that in the days of old, God spoke through prophets. But now in these last days, how has he spoken? Through his son, you're with me today. Through his son. Jesus is the fulfillment. And he comes not just as a prophet, but he comes as the prophet. His very word is the word of God, and his very life is the word made flesh. God puts skin on and dwells among his people. This is a really big deal. Because God isn't some distant God sending some messenger. No, he comes as himself. He comes as his very son, God comes and enters into the brokenness of humanity with the message and the comfort and the peace that only God can bring in the flesh. Jesus comes as as the prophet, but not just the prophet. He comes as the priest and not just any priest, the high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, as it were, um, priests had a very important function. They were set aside by God um, to basically be a go-between between the people and God. Now, we learned the prophet, its job was, his job was to go from God and be the, the go-between from God to his people. Well, a priest was the go-between of the people to God. That makes sense? You're tracking with me. Very good. Well, so we have Jesus entering into this office in a fulfillment of not just being any priest, but being one who would go before the Lord, before the Father, on behalf of God's people. You know, the people of old in the Old Testament, the prophets that would go before them, what would they do? They'd offer sacrifices, and those sacrifices were very important. The animal sacrifices, blood would be shed as a way to atone for the sins in an ongoing way for God's people. And this was an ongoing action. It was never complete. It was never finished. It was never done because... People who had a pulse, like you and me, would continue uh, to break God's law. They would continue to sin. They'd fall away, and and they would be in need of forgiveness. And so the priest would be the go-between, who would continue on behalf of the people, offering sacrifices again and again and again. You know, scriptures talk about this and, and how Jesus then becomes actually a greater fulfillment of that. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. It says this. In verses 15 and 16, 
and then you can find this on page 1207 in the worship Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now Jesus, like the high priests of the old days, they would be tempted in every way, but they would break down, and the problem was they were sinful like everyone else. And those sacrifices needed to be laid down again and again and again. But Jesus comes as the great high priest, laying down the ultimate sacrifice. This young man, he got a dream job. He was working uh, for a powerful attorney and, and uh, just a high-power law firm. And, and this young man, he was working in, in the accountant department and, and over time was very, very successful at what he did, but in his own mind was not successful enough. He longed to make more money. He longed to, to get ahead faster and quicker. And so it happened after several months of working for this law firm that one day his boss called him into his office, sat him down, and he thought, hey, maybe I'm going to get a promotion. But in his heart of hearts, he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew there was something that he had been holding back and keeping a secret from his, his company. In fact, his boss who sat him down and says, I want you to know We've discovered what you've been doing. And he knew exactly what they were talking about. See, he had found out a way, he thought, to secretly embezzle funds from the proceeds of the law firm. And he thought it would never be detected, but that day had come and his boss was fully aware of it. And he realized in a moment what that would mean. He was not only going to lose his job, but very likely it would be the legal ramifications of breaking the law and being found guilty. And what that would mean for his future. It was wide open in the guilt and the shame that came pouring down in his sin. But then the unexpected happened. His boss looked him in the eye. He said, I want you to know something. Out of my own salary, I have paid the amount of what you've embezzled. I've paid it back to our company. It's taken care of. And I want you to know that I'm not planning to press any charges. How does that sound? The young man was like, are you kidding me? What do you mean? Why would you do such a thing? And that's when his boss said this. He said, this has happened twice in our history as a law firm. This is the second time it's happened. And when the first time occurred, the young man who was convicted or found guilty of embezzlement was actually forgiven by his supervisor in the same way. And then he smiled and he says, that young man was me. And I'm doing the same for you today. Can you imagine that? That kind of grace, that kind of mercy, undeserved. And yet our God comes to us as the great high priest. As the one who's taken sin upon himself. As the one who's become the sacrifice out of his own pocket, off of his own desk. He's willing to take it on. That office of high priest in order to be the ultimate, not only bringer of the sacrifice, but even being the sacrifice himself. You know, Hebrews Goes on, this is such a great book, you should read this this week. Hebrews chapter 7, 
beginning with verse 23, and that's on page 1209 in the Worship Bible. The writer says, Now there have been many of those priests, talking about the Old Testament days, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Rather, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. There you have that office of high priest and a God who's willing to take it on, even as overwhelming and broken as that would become. You know, think of how fast forward through Holy Week and there's that moment where Jesus uh, takes his work out to the Garden of Gethsemane and there he is in prayer, interceding on behalf of the church, present and future and, and, and Jesus who calls upon the Father and says, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away. But not my will, but your will be done. And the scripture says that, that his, he actually sweated blood in that medical condition of being willing or able in such excruciating stress to actually have capillaries burst and sweat blood. Jesus faced the full stress of what sin would cost. And he'd willingly take it as high priest in that office, in the workload, and what would make that possible for us for God to say you are loved and forgiven, all is paid for. What an important office for Jesus to assume in such an important week. As prophet, as a go-between from God to his people to proclaim the good news. As, as priest, as one who would go before his people, before the Lord and make that ultimate sacrifice. But also as king. You know, as they shouted out hosannas to God the as he enters into Jerusalem that day. And, you know, just to take that misnomer away, as Paul Meyer has said again and again through the years, is that that old thought that the same people who were shouting out hosannas were then the people who were calling out crucify him, most likely not at all. They were crawling out to Jesus as Messiah. He was their hope. He was their longing. In the fulfillment of the line of King David, they were longing for one who would, who would reign as king on his throne. Hebrews tells us this in, in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I love these words. And fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus would take on another office, and that would be in glory. And it would come by way of suffering, and on the other side of suffering, by rising again to glory, God would give new life and victory to God's people who are in broken places, who are longing for better days, who are weary and overcome with grief and shame and pain. And he would conquer that, and he'd bring victory. Anybody ever, I'm going to close with this thought. Anybody ever watch the show Undercover Boss? Raise your hand. If you have, fascinating show. Because the premise of the show is the CEO or president of the company 
goes incognito and spends time getting dirty with his employees. And these are big corporations throughout the country. And, and what they do is, is they put on a wig or they dress up in a way that you'd never guess it's them. And sometimes those costumes are not very, uh, not very convincing. But you, if you've watched the show, you just got to see it. And, and it's amazing. Here you've got these high-power corporate CEOs who are cleaning toilets with their employees or, or driving forklifts or, or working on an assembly line in the factory or, or in all the different places these undercover bosses go. And it's always interesting to see with those who are working next to who they don't realize is the CEO of their company and they start complaining about upper management. They start saying how terrible things are. But they also start opening up about their life and being real. And what I've noted in every one of those shows that I've ever watched is the boss never comes down with judgment on them. Rather, at the end of the show, there's this moment where the boss invites them into his office, flies them in. They don't know what's going on other than the CEO wants to meet with them. And there it is that they show who they are. And they reveal what they've done and the fact that they now understand. And that they're not there to judge them. They first of all think, well, what did I say? You know, the boss actually always turns it around. Because in those moments, that boss meets the needs of his people and reminds them that a better day has come. And the show always ends in this tearful moment of praising the boss for what he's provided for his people that changes their life. You know what? I got a feeling if an earthly boss can do that, how much more so when it comes to a savior, a king who comes among his people to bring victory, not just presently in this broken, fallen world, but for eternity in a way that will never, ever end. It's a critical week in the office for our Savior. May we be present to follow and see what he's done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.